0: Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. My guest, Justin Michael Hendricks, is running for District 3 of the Champagne City Council. Thank you for joining me today, Justin.
1: Thank you for the invitation, Elizabeth. I appreciate it.
0: You were born and raised in Champagne. You started out as an activist. Was there a specific person or an event that you remember that kind of kick-started your activism?
1: Growing up, I will say just seeing people like my father and seeing people like my grandfather, Arnie Yarber, seeing them work hard and seeing other people growing up at the Boys and Girls Club that really were significant in my life, like the staff members, and then even people like Dr. William Patterson. They really showed me how Black men can navigate in a way that is very effective, impactful, but also leaves an imprint for longevity as a blueprint to follow to be successful and then to elevate and build upon it. More recently, Within the last, i say about five years, I've been really inspired by Bayard Rustin, and Bayard Rustin is a real significant figure in the civil rights movement, in the LGBTQ movement, in the peace movement at large. He was the architect and the man that did a lot of the logistics behind the March on Washington, the monumental events that Martin Luther King held and had. They arrested a lot of the groundwork for it, but yet stood in the dark sides or in the shadows because him identifying as a black queer male. And we know during that time, especially, let alone being black, let alone being black and queer, was even more of like a double edged sword. So he chose to hide himself in those ways because of his queerness, but yet and still liberated himself by doing more of the work for the people at large. Basically those people that inspired me, but more so in personally with my work and my advocacy, it's Bayard Rustin.
0: You went from being an advocate to running for Champaign city council. We're going to get into what happened after you turn your signatures in a second, but first tell me what made you decide to run for office.
1: Strong women led me like Rita Connerly and Megan McDonald, who does identify as they, them. So I do want to also be respectful of people's pronouns at the same time. But seeing those strong people and individuals really lead the pack and show people how you can navigate in the streets efficiently and fighting for a cause to combat, against social injustices among all people, because we do identify that socioeconomic disparities do not just trickle down to black and brown bodies, but we also understand that white impoverished and low income communities and at-risk communities also are in the same avenue as us as well as black and brown people. So seeing them navigate during the protest and calling out for a a response to the city at large really navigated me to want to step up and seeing how they took positions and wanting to run in respective positions for the city. I then was inspired to then submit my petitions and then state state my name in a place to where we have to make the sacrifices leaving the streets and no longer being considered street people or street activists to then make the actual physical moves in government and in that apparatus to actually get the people's policies done for the people first. So that's really inspired me was just seeing them step out and then us seeing that there was a need and that it's like, okay, We just can't stand in the streets all day and yell and scream. We have to start getting into these spaces and meeting with these people, educating ourselves on legislation. But then at the same time, if it's not working with meeting them, we then have to beat them at the same game, which then led us to say, let's step into the ring and let's step into the political realm and actually put ourselves in those positions for the community. It's not just our names, it's the community that goes in those seats and in those positions.
0: So you stepped into the ring and you got the necessary signatures on the petitions. And I know you've told this story, but for us lay people that still don't understand about signature verification, what exactly happened?
1: Basically, what happened is I canvassed my District 3 area and I made it an initiative to focus predominantly on black and brown housing communities and neighborhoods that overly populate District 3. And with that being said, I want to make sure that their voices were heard and their voices were respected and their votes counted. And I got the right signatures. I got over the amount of the potential candidates as well on the ballot. Submitting those petitions during a COVID pandemic also to be mindful for people was also a risky situation because I'm not only putting myself at risk, but others that are invested in me doing the work for the community. So even when I was out there, I was apologizing for possibly inconveniencing their health and putting them at risk by asking them to sign my petition. So after I submitted my petitions, they were challenged on the last day, the last 30 minutes of the hour. So then that's when I got information about my challenges. And then I had to then move forward and figure out how to do this situation, because obviously I'm the newcomer and with being a newcomer, you don't really get a lot of the open doors. And then also with us coming from an avenue of protesting, we're really not getting open doors. And so we had to like climb through the windows and like scream and yell down the street, hey neighbor, uh, you know, just to get more information. And so I ended up reaching out to a lot of the community members and they gave me information as far as like my policies and procedures of what to do for a hearing. But it was a very familiar body of people who were very well acquainted with each other in in different areas, from the candidate to the government body. So it looked very much like a machine against one person. I then had to become exposed to not knowing the legislation system, court terminology or jargon. It showed my illiteracy in those moments of not knowing things when it came to court but also exposed me in financial resources because I could not financially obtain a lawyer. So I then had to reach out to a personal resource that I met through advocating for Equality Illinois, which is a statewide organization and legislation that gave me the resources to then reach out to Ed Mullen of Chicago. And Ed Mullen did a heaven of a job, to best well put it. And he, to me, was the best way to me to win the case. If it wasn't for a 1970 home rule, that overrules and supersedes certain laws when it comes to legislation in Champagne as the city that itself. And to me, rules like that, especially in the 1940s and beyond, but as in before that, to me, that is rooted in systemic racism and segregation and Jim Crow reconstruction, which we know was not for black and brown bodies. It also goes into locally into Champagne's history, as we have a 1940 Supreme Court law that pushed black bodies out that created the North End and other disparities such as the Fifth and Hill community and health risk at large. So to me, that ruling was not only just showing me Jim Crow, it was showing me a bigger apparatus that exists in Champaign that we're trying to change. So the home rule is what gave me the KO knockout punch. And with that being said, I was denied ballot access. However, with the confidence of the community and the support of the community that I exist in, I decided to continue on as a write-in candidate for District 3 because I believe that my work shows, and I believe that a person of this much dedication with the community backing them shows you that this isn't new to them. Just going into the political realm is just another step of getting the job done for the community. I've shown people how I can navigate outside of the governmental body. And by me wanting to follow the rules accordingly to be politically correct, I wanted to do it the right way. And I did. However, I was still challenged and told, no, you're still not allowed. I'm confident in my district to write my name on the ballot on April 6th, Justin Michael Hendricks. So with that being said, that's basically how it came about with the whole situation with the court hearing, petitioning and the outcome of it currently now.
0: It feels incredibly clicky for the people that are trying to keep you off the ballot. It feels racist. It feels like the people that have law degrees are at an advantage to put their friends and their cronies on the ballot. Do you understand this is why people who say they hate politics, wouldn't you think this type of thing is why people hate politics?
1: It's not just the hate for it, but it's like, I'm just over it. I'm just disgusted with the situation because people like myself and like Rita Connerly, Megan McDonald, Drake Mateer, Marshall Alston, I feel like if we were to come out in these areas, we should be welcomed with open arms. And that's not what happened from any political body that exists in Champaign. And there's no one that can say, I opened my arms to these people. When we came asking for answers, we were then questioned. When we wanted to get more answers, we were then shut with doors saying, no, we can't give you this information or we can't work with you. Why did you not tell us that you were running? I believe in not telling people what I have to do in order to please people. I believe in putting the people first and getting the job done. As you see, study sessions happen every day and they take too long. I believe in talking about it one time and going to do the work because it's executed properly. So I just learned that this whole system of government in Champaign is one that is going to change. And I believe it has no choice but to change because the people are now rising up and now getting into the realm of government and wanting to do more and also hold our public officials accountable. Public officials have not been held accountable, obviously, for the last 10 years in Champaign, believe it or not. So it's time we start holding them accountable. And if no one else is going to call them out, I don't mind doing it respectfully, as long as others also understand that what is being done is I'm just calling out what the people need and what needs to be done, because obviously a lot of study sessions are just paperwork and small talks that are not involving us.
0: Let's talk about some of the key issues you're passionate about, education, advocacy, community culture, as well as making food pantries more accessible. Tell me what it is about these issues that are so important to you and to the people of your district.
1: As far as my platform and Justin Michael Hendricks, Hidden Homeboy, I drive myself on education, advocacy, and community culture. Education, for me personally, being a preschool teacher, I know the ins and outs of education and also being a person of color, I understand the disparities socioeconomically when it comes to education. Just letting people know if you are not from a two-parent home or if you're not from a certain level of income or educated just before you're signing up for preschool, the child is already not able to earn certain privileges such as a gifted program, an AP class, or even adequate care in preschool because of the disparities placed upon impoverished communities. Also, we know impoverished communities are impoverished because of policy, which is made by the government. So with that being said, we have to start educating ourselves with that information to know we have to make those changes in the education system. Me being a teacher, I know those changes that they have to happen. I know firsthand. I know the skills. So when it comes to education, I believe in fighting in that relation of building a community relation between community and schools, because we have to have teachers that feel comfortable with their students, Students have to feel comfortable with their teachers. We also must know that most of our teachers are not from our city. They live outside of our city or they're not in our community or our districts. So then we have to then build that community engagement, that conversation piece amongst the education system to build on it, to know that yes, right now during a pandemic, it's an issue. In district three, we have a predominantly black and brown housing units over six. Connectivity is a big issue. People are without internet access. So already most of our kids are now pushed further behind because of the connectivity issues, let alone before leaving because of the pandemic. Where were their skills at initially when it comes to fine motor, social, emotional, uh, developmentally appropriate practices? These are things we must pay attention to as educators, teachers, and people that we're wanting to then guide the next generation up and the next movement of academia and intelligence so that is where I'm at with education is building upon the community aspect of school and community and making sure that we are challenging a system that is actually not allowing black and brown bodies to advance, but also not allowing low income whites to even succeed in the sense of a privilege that they're giving. So we have to start challenging those systems that are already built in corruption, even in education. There's no reason why our inner city schools should not reflect our suburban schools. There's no reason why our materials should not be the same, even down to preschool. I believe private preschools should reflect the same education as public preschools. Everything should be the same. I've worked in private preschools in Champaign. I've worked in public schools. There's a huge difference in curriculum. There's a huge difference in the way that things are ran. There's a huge difference, and I know the differences that must be changed in that part of education. When it comes to advocacy for Equality Illinois statewide, I learned how to lobby when it comes to traveling to Springfield and to Chicago, meeting with legislatures and meeting with government people such as J.B. Prisker, meeting with people such as Lamont Robinson, meeting with people like Juliana Stratton. I understand the ins and outs of what you have to do to meet with people and get it done, even when you have disconnects with individuals. I remember one time I was there and I was in my, I think, my third year being with Equality Illinois, and I had a discussion with Mary Flowers. People know her for certain policies, and especially when it comes to certain demographics that people may not understand or identify with. I'm able to still understand that we can still agree to disagree. But the point is that the experience that I've learned by legislating and lobbying gives me that aspect of understanding advocacy. Well, then on a national level, when it comes to me being a member of GLAD, I understand nationally the aspect of when it comes to LGBTQ folks, when it comes to the disabled community, because GLAD has taught me with the alumni institute of how to pay attention to multiple demographics that exist inside LGBTQ, which also includes Black and Brown bodies, which also includes the disabled community, which also includes people that we don't think about that do exist, which is the elder community. Because we must understand all these people do exist even in the Black community, in the Brown community. So we have to make those changes and make sure that we understand that advocacy pushes legislation for the rights of all people. The legislation that is being pushed depends on the constituents who vote for it. And the constituents vote for the politicians. So if we're not being backed by our politicians, we're just voting for legislation that pretty much keeps pushing us down, embedding us in an embellishment of evilness. So by me doing advocacy with legislation groups such as Equality Illinois and GLAD, it has taught me to really lobby and not be scared to get into the ring with politicians and ask the tough questions. And even if you have to sit out there going back and forth between the Senate and the House wings, it's OK. You're learning the experience. And I love it. And I enjoy it because I'm doing it not for myself, but for the betterment of all people. And when it comes to community culture, Look at what we've done in Champaign Urbana, not just Champaign, not just District 3, but Champaign Urbana at large. Not even a year since the pantries were created with Marshall and myself and a few others like Mitchell and Avi and Caitlin. As I always talk, it's not just myself, it's an effort, it's a community thing. So most of the times I talk and I say we because it's a group effort, it's not just myself. The pantries alone have shown as a statement piece, not just downtown. But now we have a pantry at Bethel AME Church. We have a pantry in partnership with First Followers. So myself and Marshall, with my organization Hidden Homeboy, we have now shown people a model that people can use to actually help people in a system that we know is not built for them when it comes to fighting food insecurity, which is a racial injustice matter. These food pantries are a testament to fighting and combating against racial injustice. And if you just look at it as if we're just feeding bellies, then you need to look at the bigger picture and understand this is a symbolic movement that we're doing of combating against a larger scale of a system that is systemically built not for people of color. To see people of color that are very impoverished and very of our most invulnerable, go to our pantries and they're able to access food and quality food at that. And I'm not just going to just sound real bougie and say we give name brand food, girl. But we give, <laughs> we give name brand food because I pride myself on telling people you give what you will put in your house. And when you do that, I say that's humanity over charity, because when you're giving for charity, you have to say, how much am I going to give today? Or do I want to buy this macaroni and cheese because of the price? Or I don't know, I'm just going to get the cheaper price. Give me the cheaper one down there. You're putting thought into it consciously. But when we give our humanity and we're showing people the community culture of humanity over charity, it's just nothing but love that I've been seeing across Champaign-Urbana and even extending into the campus. And to me, it has not been until recently within the uprising and the rebellion within Champaign-Urbana that we have now seen campus become more involved. We have to have a sense of understanding that we have demographics that are not having equity, we have to fix that. We have to understand that even when it comes down to the smallest things like curb cuts being clean, that's important to me. And I have emailed the city about it. And I took pictures about trees falling down in my district. I don't have a vehicle, I walk my district by foot and I still am able to go to crime scenes. I'm still able to navigate around district three when situations happen. That's just me being a councilman without being in the position. That's about being in community culture without having to be asked to do something. And that's what it's about. You don't have to be asked to do it. You're just wanting to go and do it.
0: If somebody's moved by your message and they want to vote for you in District 3, how does that work now that you're a writing candidate?
1: I encourage you to just get your ballot. You review your ballot, you have candidate A, candidate B, and then you have a bubble with a blank line. You fill that bubble in all the way, you scribble it all the way in and you write my name Justin Michael Hendrix on your ballot for district three. Again, Justin Michael Hendricks. So that's Justin like Justin Timberlake, Michael like Michael Jordan, and Hendrix like Jimi Hendrix. But make sure you write Justin Michael Hendrix.
0: <laughs> Let's circle back on something you brought up earlier. You're active in the community through your organization, and Homeboy. Tell me about that organization.
1: Well, and Homeboy, I started when I was living in St. Louis, Missouri. And I was protesting before, during, and after the unfortunate murder of Michael Brown. And while living in St. Louis, before Michael Brown, I was doing a lot of initiatives for the LGBTQ community. I was a part of the No Speak, No See, No Tell, No Hate campaign. I was a part of the HIV awareness campaigns that they've done down there to spread about HIV awareness and health concerns for Black and Brown bodies, especially in the LGTBQ community, primarily when it comes to Black queer men, as most of us do not educate ourselves on HIV and health concerns, let alone being Black men, we don't educate ourselves on health. So that's a bigger disparity that we have to change. And so that pushed me into more advocating for then also trans people. I understand that trans people are not accustomed to most healthcare that they're not able to get. And so that pushed me to do more work. And then when Michael Brown happened, my cousin, I remember telling him, he was like, we just have to start getting in the streets. We have to start doing what our ancestors did. And then the ancestors after them did, you know, the civil rights movement, what did they do? We got out there, we have to get out there like they did. And that encouraged me to get out in the streets. And I remember teaching at the Julia Goldstein preschool and there was a phone call that came into our classrooms and they were telling us the buses are in the back of the school. You are to get your students, get them dressed, put all this stuff in their backpacks. We're going to load the kids in the bus and we're going to take them to the snooks around the corner. It was at that moment I said to myself. Oh, this is getting real. The children and the students are asking us questions, and we have to be very. It's okay. We're getting ready to go. We're going somewhere special. We're leaving school early. And to me, in the moments, I still was trying to think because for one, I'm not from St. Louis. I moved here recently, and you know, I'm still navigating this city. After we took the students to the nooks and the parents came pick them up, I then had to then decide what was I going to do. Was I going to take the MetroLink North or take the MetroLink South? I took the Metrolink North and I went to Ferguson and I met my cousin in Ferguson. And It was in that moment when I got off the train and we took the bus and we got off the bus and we were walking. It was in those moments that I felt chills that I was entering a system that was not wanted by us. I was entering an area that was in a rage over a black body that did not have to go. And that was left in the street for hours in broad daylight without care. And then to see a mother screaming for her child in agony, those are experiences I never could experience because I'm not a parent and I'm not a mom. And so with that being said, I do have a mom. And that encouraged me to know that I have to speak out against this because I don't want my mom to see this or have to go through this. And I don't want another mother to go through this. And so that pushed me to continue to protest and do more work. And then when I returned to Champaign, I use Hidden Homeboy as a way to really advocate and navigate in the community in a sense to where I can go to black and brown communities and I can work with the LGBTQ community to make sure that we're inclusive. Because we must understand that when we say Black Lives Matter, that includes LGTBQ. We also must understand that when we say LGBTQ, that includes our trans brothers and sisters and our intersex people and non-gender conforming. People must understand Pride was started by two trans women of color, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. It was not for those two women at Stonewall that night. This would not be happening for Pride. And even before that, there were more historians of color who have done things so that we can advocate with glitter and paint and be joyful and have Pride. So that also pushed me to also educate the community of LGTBQ to be respectful of their historians. So hitting Homeboy just gives me a sense of education, advocacy and also culture because in the sense of my platform, I make sure I educate my community on things that are black and brown and LGBTQ, I make sure that I advocate for us when I go to these areas of legislation and make sure that I'm understanding the laws and the rulings that may be trying to get passed to either help us or hinder us. And I make sure with the community, we have a culture that's understanding that we must be inclusive to everyone.
0: I have to ask, there are a lot of people in District 3, when you're on the council, that you will help and that you will want to help and you will make a difference Other people are going to come to you with their first world problems and you're going to look at them and think this is an entitlement issue. How are you going to balance the needs of both ends of the spectrum in your district?
1: I believe in community and civic engagement. I don't mind people calling me. And one thing I am about that I know that I'm going to do when I get into city council is that I'm going to have a personal District 3 street team because I believe in having street engagement, engagement happens in the streets. We've seen it be done within this last year and we provided services for everyone from LGBTQ, from disabled to elderly, to black and brown, to low income whites, to even the Latino community. I have shown you how I can navigate from Champaign to Urbana and the UIUC. So only by putting me in district three as your city council rep, you will be amazed at what I can do. And all I'm going to say is, because I don't want to give too much of my secrets, <laughs> but what I will say is that District 3 will have a street team under the councilmanship or councilpersonship of Justin Michael Hendricks. So the only way that this can happen is if you write my name on your ballot this April 6th, Justin Michael Hendricks for the city of Champaign's District 3. Make sure you fill that bubble in all the way because I don't need no discrepancy there. I didn't got me with a home rule. (laughs)
0: thank you for listening to I have to ask with Elizabeth Hess part of the champagne showers podcast network Justin Michael Hendricks fill in the whole circle his whole name thank you for your time today
1: oh no thank you and thank you to champagne showers thank you miss Elizabeth Hess thank you to all the viewers make sure you all stay safe well healthy and check on each other most importantly you know what to do April 6th Justin Michael Hendricks